Well, it's good to see everybody. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope that the folks are able to be joining us on the uh, internet as well by now. They were, I know they were working feverishly to get that uh, problem fixed for us. Um, last week, if you have any friends who are Jewish, uh, they celebrated an important holiday, the Feast of Trumpets. It's called in the New Testament Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and this next week, they will be celebrating what is considered in the Jewish uh, year the holiest day uh, of the year. And it is this day that we've just read about in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 16 uh, and uh, also in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10 spends most of the verses dealing with this day, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, modern celebrations, I just looked this up, modern celebrations of the Day of Atonement, because there's no temple, there's no uh, sacrifices anymore, so modern Jewish people will We'll have feasts the day before, but the Day of Atonement itself, as specified, is a day of fasting. You don't eat anything for about 25 to 28 hours. You, uh, you don't put on any perfume or lotion. You don't wear any leather shoes. Uh, men and women now will often wear white clothing, like to, to imitate the white clothing that the priests would wear. People will bathe beforehand or immerse themselves uh, in a baptismal bath the day before. It's a day of spending time in worship. It's a day of spending time in reflection on, on the sins of the past and repentance to do better in the next year. Uh, that's what uh, the Day of Atonement means now. And it is fundamental all through our Old Testament and New Testament. It's one of the three mandated feasts in the law of Moses. In the end, the Jews have several feasts, but these three where Israel must appear uh, and come and celebrate before God. And uh, it's, it was when the temple still stood, when the original tabernacle was built there at the foot of Mount Sinai and then when Solomon built his temple and then eventually when uh, Ezra and Haggai and Malachi got the people to rebuild the temple after the Babylonian exile, this uh, day of atonement was uh, this incredible day of, of renewal for Israel. Uh, the, the year actually started... Uh, closer to Passover, but this was such an important day of renewal that there's a whole segment of Jewish society that kind of views this as the beginning, the real beginning of the year, is this day of atonement. The pre and We just heard read, thank you, Bruce, our own movie star voice, for reading that long passage out of Leviticus chapter 16. The priest would offer the daily sacrifices and then he would baptize himself. Uh, he would immerse himself and put on these special garments, which were only worn on this day, these white garments. You know, he had the beautiful, golden, elaborate garments of the high priests, 
the turban, the breastplate, the, all of those clothes. But on this day, he would wear these pure white garments only after he was washed. And um, three animals would be used in this, a bull and two goats. And Israel donated these for this specific purpose. And the goats would be brought, two goats which were pure and perfect, would be brought before the front of the temple or the tabernacle, and chance, or God, would decide. They would cast lots, and one of the goats would be selected to be the sacrifice, and one of the goats would be selected to be the, what we call the scapegoat. It's actually where we get our word, scapegoat, is from this ceremony right here. The bull would then be taken and it would be sacrificed and carefully blood would be caught from the sacrifice of this bull. And only the high priest would take that blood into the temple itself. And he would carefully carry that blood and the altar of incense, that small altar that normally stood right in front of the veil that separated the outer room of the temple, the holy place, from the inner room of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant stood, he would carefully carry that whole altar of incense behind the veil. And two, as you, read, as you heard read, two full handfuls of incense. And he would cast those two full handfuls of incense onto the altar of incense and a billowing cloud of this incredibly sweet smoke would fill that room. And the purpose was to make a second veil again. I mean, to, to, to again cover and make obscure this meeting place with God. We have this ability to go to God, but even so, it must not be looked at directly where God meets us, the mercy seat, the seat of atonement, the place where God and humans come together. And then with that blood of the bull, Aaron, or the high priest, seven times would dip his finger and seven times flick that blood onto the seat of atonement. And we'll go back out. And that first goat, the goat that was selected for sacrifice, would be killed. Its blood would be captured. He would go back into the tabernacle. He would go back into the Holy of Holies. Seven times he would dip his finger into the blood and seven times flick that blood onto the mercy seat was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. He would come back out and he would take that other goat and he would pronounce the sins of all the people for the entire past year. I'm assuming that he summarized because that would take a full year and more. But he would, print, it would just lay his hands on the goat and it would just talk about adultery and lies and betrayals and theft and all of the filth 
that the people had committed. Some things that they knew about, some things perhaps that they didn't even know about, but, but all of those things, and just kind of infuse all of that onto this goat. And then the goat would be let out alive, away from all the people, as far away as they could get it. And it would be released away from the camp. And then the priest would bathe himself, the high priest would bathe once more, immerse himself, baptize himself once more, put on his normal robes, and resume the regular duties of the high priest. This is the day of atonement. That was going on in Jesus' day. He would have experienced that as well. The, the apostles would have all seen that happening. The people that the writer of Hebrews is talking to, they would have known about this day of atonement. Paul, when he writes the book of Romans and some of his other books, he's thinking sometimes about this day of atonement. But probably the fact that I've spent this long describing the day of atonement may be raising a question with you. Jim, why do I care about the day of atonement? Why do I care about a Jewish holiday that's not binding on Christians anymore? And the question, why do I care about a holiday that's not binding on Christians anymore, which it's not, is answered by that fact. It's not binding on Christians anymore. How come? Are Christians just better than the Jews were? So they don't need this anymore? Why is it that we don't celebrate the Day of Atonement anymore? And you already know the answer. You know what I'm going to say before I say it. Jesus. Right? Jesus. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? The reason why you and I don't desperately need this Day of Atonement is all about Jesus. And in fact, Jesus is all over this all the way back in the book of Leviticus. And that may raise a second question in your mind because you're, you're saying, well, I don't really know where to look. Am I supposed to be? Is Jesus the high priest? Is he, is he the scapegoat? Is he the sacrifice? What, what it? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he's all those things. And he's a lot more besides. Jesus is all over this day of atonement. And as we understand what God was revealing to the Jews and therefore revealing to us, through the Day of Atonement, we will understand more about what Jesus is doing for us today. What makes it possible for us to be sitting in these pews without getting struck by lightning today is Jesus and what he accomplished. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. And we're going to spend a little bit of time trying to understand something about this Day of Atonement. Let's talk about that scapegoat for a minute. The writer of Leviticus says this, when Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meaning and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He will lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins 
and put them on the goat's head. He will send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. And the man shall release it into the wilderness. Interestingly, the man can't even come back from that task. The one who takes it way far away so it won't find its way home. Uh, that man can't even come back himself until he's washed and purified himself. What's that about, the scapegoat? Carrying the sins away. It's about that. I am not okay in the sight of God when I stand there coated in my wickedness. I need those sins taken from me. One of the many places that the New Testament draws on the imagery of the Day of Atonement is Romans. We didn't have time to read all the passages, so, so if you have your Bibles, you might just flip over to Romans chapter 8. Paul uses this imagery in Romans chapter 3 as well, but turn over to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 7, you may remember that Paul himself is struggling with this very problem. I stand here in the mess that is me. The mess that it is to be a human being. Where, where I'm pulled in these both these directions. I know what I want to do in Rome, Romans chapter 7, he says. But I've got this other thing that's pulling me to do the wicked thing. And I want to do right, but I can't do right. And I just, I'm just pulled apart as a human being. Who will rescue me? Romans 8 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from that principle, that law of sin and death that was pulling you the other direction. For the law was powerless to do uh, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Your sins, your mess, your problems, your weaknesses, your rebellions against God, all of those times you say, I know what God wants, but I want this instead. That gets laid on Jesus Christ. And he is taken outside of the city of Jerusalem. And he is offered because of what we did. He's the scapegoat. He is the sacrifice for sins. He's also the high priest. The writer of Leviticus says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come Whenever he chooses into the holy place, the previous chapter in Leviticus tells the story of Nadab and Abihu coming in an unworthy manner and being struck dead 
because of that. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother that he's not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put it on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must baptize, wash, bathe himself with water before he puts them on. This is what the priest has to do just to begin to carry out his duties each year. Compare that to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of bulls, of of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You get the difference between the priest of the Day of Atonement and our priest Jesus. He goes into the actual sanctuary, the actual presence of God. And he offers a sacrifice once and for all that cleanses you and me. He's already clean. He's already perfect. He is already clothed in white linen. And he offers the sacrifice that we need once and for all. It's a big deal. If you read the rest of that Hebrews chapter 9, you'll see that the Hebrew writer focuses on that. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the scapegoat. He's the high priest. He is what cleanses us from sin. What was the point of the Day of Atonement? It was about cleansing from sin, that's, that's certainly right. But you know, when you hear those words, cleansing from sin, when you hear words like atonement, forgive your sins, a lot of different ways we could connect to that, a lot of different emotions we could have about that, a lot of different images in our mind. I will have to tell you myself, I tend to think in terms of avoiding punishment from God. I want to be forgiven so I can avoid punishment from God. And that's good, because we all want that. But I will tell you that if that's all you have connected to the idea of being cleansed of your sins or being forgiven of your sins, you're kind of missing the upper level. Being, Being forgiven of your sins so you avoid punishment from God is only like ground level. And there are several floors above that that the Bible wants you to enter and enjoy. Because you notice, this story's not really about avoiding punishment. It's, it's really focused somewhere else, even emotionally. Even the language is focused somewhere else. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you 
Go ahead and turn back to that Leviticus passage. It's long, I know, but let's look at a couple of things. Leviticus chapter 16. Look at verse 4 with me. Come on, you guys all have Bibles. Look at this with me. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 4. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he has to bathe himself with water before he puts them on. He only wears these this one time. He has to bathe before he can wear them, and he has to take them off and bathe again. Um, What's that about? Look down a little bit further, verse 16. In this way, the priest, after he's done all these things, he will make atonement for the most holy place for the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. What's the atonement being made for? I'm atoning for the Israelites, but I'm really atoning so that the temple itself, the holy place itself, and the most holy place itself is clean, is fixed. Whatever their sins have been, he will do the same for the tent of meaning, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Somehow this day of atonement has to do not just with forgiving your sins so you can avoid being punished. It has to do with fixing the temple, even though we are wicked people. Leviticus 16, verses 29 through 30. This is the lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves. Do not do any work, whether native-born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day of atonement, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you Then before the Lord, you will be clean of all your sins. Obviously, the focus here is not so much on avoiding punishment for your sins. That's the ground floor. The upper stories have to do with you being clean for something in addition. What is that something? It is God being able to be near you. God being able to be with you, to be in communion with you. That was the incredible blessing. Mount Sinai was a perilous moment. God comes down to the top of the mountain, and the Israelites both were thrilled by that and scared to death by it. And they heard God speak, and they said, "That's no more, don't let him talk anymore. Moses, you go talk to him. And they can't behave themselves at the bottom of the mountain. They end up making a calf. They think maybe, I mean, I think they actually thought perhaps they were making God happy by making that calf uh, and having a festival. They thought they were honoring him, and it just appalls God, and he's, he's ready to just wipe them out and start over with Moses. And, and Moses says, no, you've got to be our God. You brought us out here, please. And there's intercession and begging, and, and, and God says, here's the solution. I will be with you in this tabernacle. I will make my house in the middle, even of a wicked people. I'll live right next to you. What an incredible thing. Gods are not up on Mount Olympus. Gods are not up in heaven. The God we're talking about in the Bible says, even as you are right now, I have figured out a way to be with 
you. With you. Next door to you. Let me ask you something. Here's a thought experiment. This afternoon, I hope you get to take a nap. I plan to take a nap. You're awakened from your nap by a telephone call. It's actually somebody calling from Buckingham Palace, Minister of Protocol. It says, you've been selected. The queen wants to come and have lunch at a typical American home next Saturday. She's coming to your house. They didn't ask, really. They just told. She's coming to your house. Now let me ask you, in this thought experiment, what would your next week look like? Think about what you'd be doing this next week. What nooks and crannies would be cleaned? What closets would be emptied? What chairs might be reupholstered? What pets might be, I don't know, sold to Alaska? What, I mean, what would you be doing to make your house right? Because the press is coming with her. Where she goes, press follows. Your house is going to be on international television. Let me ask you a second question. Are you honored to have the queen coming to your house to have lunch? Are you? Let me ask you a third question. Are you terrified to have the queen coming to your house to have lunch? How can you have both thoughts in your head at the same time? <laughs> because they're both true. It is both wonderful to have her with you and horrifying to have her coming to be with you, right? Okay, that's just a human illustration of what the temple and the Day of Atonement and all of this stuff is trying to get across about something that is infinitely greater than any human monarch could possibly be. We're talking about the God who created the entire universe and who is overwhelming love trying to come and be with you, trying to come and be with me. It's the best and sweetest and most glorious thing that could happen, and it's also terrifying. Terrifying. And that's what that Day of Atonement's really about, is how can I make my life clean enough so that God can actually come, knock on my door, and I can open it and let him come in and eat with me. How can I do that? The Day of Atonement was a picture. And the writer of Hebrews says it told you that these, this blood of bulls and goats didn't quite get the job done, but it reminded you what was at stake, God's fellowship. But now, Jesus Christ has come, and he has made you clean, and you can enter into communion with God with absolute confidence. 
By the way, that is exactly where the Hebrew writer ends up. The climax to the entire book of Hebrews is about that transformation. In the book of atonement, in, in the book of Leviticus, who can go into the holy place? Who can go? You can say it. I can hear you behind your masks. Who can go? The high priest once a year. Look at Hebrews. This is the last thing I'm going to do. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Because of Jesus Christ making you clean. Not just, you know, coating you with fire insurance so God doesn't punish you. Making you clean because you are now clean. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, get this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance of the faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies baptized, washed with pure water. You and me are in the Holy of Holies, people. We are there. And Jesus made it possible. Why are we able to sit right here in this church building right now with God all around us without being struck by lightning? Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice. Every day is the day of atonement for us. If you need to respond to God's glorious invitation, if you need prayers or help that this church can offer, or if you are ready today to receive the atonement of the washing of Jesus Christ in baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.